sentire media. Hello you, you're listening to a history of Italy. Episode 163 The Rise and Fall of Gerolamo Savonarola In the last episode, we bore witness to the exile of the Medici from Florence after the passage of King Charles VIII of France on his way to Naples. In the aftermath, in Florence, which had been under the influence of the Medici for decades now, they decided to get themselves a new constitution, and one of the men involved in the process was the Dominican monk, Gerolamo Savonarola. We're going to be rather rude and leave King Charles waiting a little while to take a moment to understand where this Savonarola came from and see how things went for him. In the time we are covering in this episode, Charles would head to Rome, then Naples, take Naples, and then head back to France. We'll just imagine him sitting impatiently for us on the southern border of the Republic of Florence. Gerolamo Maria Francesco Savonarola was born in Ferrara in 1452 to a family of noble origin, tracing back to the Bonaccolsi of Bologna. His family hoped he would take on a medical career, but he found his calling very early on, and he became a Dominican monk, possibly following a big love disappointment. He was a rather ugly guy, but with very pretty grey-blue eyes, and in time he would develop a magnetic influence with his coarse and violent rhetoric. Savonarola first visited Florence in 1481, but his first preaching experiences were a bit of a disaster, and he ended up leaving the city in 1486. He returned in 1490, called there by our old buddy Lorenzo the Magnificent, possibly advised in the matter by the philosopher Pico della Mirandola, who had taken a shine to the monk. This time round, Savonarola had a little more practice and was a little more interesting. He thundered against corruption in general and particularly in the church. Soon enough, in 1491, he was made the prior of the important monastery of San Marco, which was sort of the family monastery of the Medici family. Allow me a little digression here about a character we'll be dedicating an episode to further on. The Medici, as well as supporting the San Marco Monastery, in their policy of also supporting the arts, had set up a sort of artist studio there. One day in 1489, Lorenzo de' Medici was walking around the cloisters and noticed a young artisan who was working on the sculpture of an old satire, a woodland deity from Greek mythology. Lorenzo observed the young man for a while and then pointed out that if it was to be an old satire, it should perhaps be missing a few teeth. The shy young sculptor didn't answer and Lorenzo walked off, but when he had left, the artist took his hammer and chisel and did some dentistry work on the head of the satire. The next day, Lorenzo was pleased to see that his advice had been heeded and from that moment on, he took the young man under his wing. He went to the father, Ludovico Bonarroti, and asked him permission to take the young artist into his house. 
So it was that a shy youth not only found himself living at Palazzo Medici, but also sitting at the family table as if he were one of them. The name of the young man was Michelangelo Buonarroti. Michelangelo. When Lorenzo died just a few years later, Michelangelo was devastated and fled from the Medici house to seek solitary solace back at his own home. Piero de' Medici would not think to call upon the great artist until some time later when a snowfall covered the courtyard of the Medici palace and he was sent for to build a snowman. This wounded his pride to no end, but he complied. He made a magnificent snowman, of course, but the relationship with the Medici would never be the same again. Quick question. Did you, like I did when you heard this story, imagine Piero knocking on Michelangelo's door and asking, Do you want to build a snowman? Just checking. As we said, it was 1491 when Lorenzo was still alive that Savonarola became the prior of San Marco. It was customary for the new prior to go and visit the head of the Medici as a sort of unofficial homage. Savonarola refused to do so. Lorenzo let it slide. The monk's following increased as he continued to attack corruption and what he saw as the sweet, decadent life that had become the norm in Florence, aiming his criticism also at the temporal power and not just the church, yet not actually mentioning the Medici by name. He accused the Florentines of having given up their freedom. He also railed against what he saw as the pagan movement of the Renaissance and started to style himself as a prophet. Lorenzo, meanwhile, let everything slide. He did not get his buddy Pope Innocent VIII involved, as perhaps he could have done. Instead, he tried to soften Savonarola up by making generous donations to the monastery, which were immediately handed over to the poor as a gesture of contempt. Lorenzo would also hang around San Marco in an attempt to have a chance meeting with a friar, but to no avail. Savonarola continued with his fiery, anti-everything sermons, and Lorenzo felt obliged at this point to send a small committee of two trusted men to try and get the monk to tone things down a bit. The prior immediately understood who had sent them and made one of his famous prophecies. Although I am the outsider, tell Lorenzo that it is he who will leave and not me. As we know, the year after, Lorenzo de' Medici died. As he was on his deathbed, it was the fiery friar that he wished to administer the last rites, and most likely, although probably reluctantly, the friar did so. Later, fans of Savonarola, who were not actually present and wrote a long time after, spoke of a dramatic scene of Savonarola demanding Lorenzo free the people of Florence and, upon his refusal, not administering the requested sacrament. This most likely did not happen at all. Another two years passed and the Medici were expelled from Florence. Meanwhile, Savonarola's supporters had continued to grow in number. They were known as the Piagnoni, the criers or wailers, and he even had a team of young boys known as the Fanciulli, which means young boys, who would go around houses asking for donations with a little insistent moral suasion and a good dose of spying. Savonarola, with his Piagnoni and Fanciulli, gradually started to have a tighter and tighter hold on the morality of Florence, and, as we have seen, he was also called to put in his two cents with the new organization of the Republic after the exile of Piero de' Medici. 
Various bodies used by the Medici to hold on to power were abolished, and a larger Maggior Consiglio was formed as a sort of parliament, with a government of eight priori headed by a gonfaloniere. Taxes were lowered on commerce, helping out the merchants, but left on property in a stab at the wealthy landowners. He started to encourage the abolition of all fun things that the Florentines loved, like carnivals, races, fashionable clothes, and anyone caught blaspheming would have their tongue cut out. He promoted the formation of a regime of austerity, a model that he intended could expand to all the rest of Italy. He wasn't actually trying to set up some sort of evil Nazi empire, he was just a bit of a religious extremist. He made a great effort to improve the situation of the poor and did his utmost to make sure that the Republic of Florence stayed in peace. He did this in a similar way to the Medici, exercising influence through his allies, particularly the Gonfaloniere of Florence. However, the comparison stops there, and Savonarola cannot be said to have substituted the Medici as the head of a sort of Crypto Signoria of Florence. Many Florentines at first went along enthusiastically with the new regime, caught up in the charisma of the monk, and on board with the whole anti-corruption, help the poor, live in peace business. But the fun-loving Florentines soon got tired, and when the novelty wore off, they started to grumble. A faction in opposition to Savonarola's Piagnoni formed, known as the Arrabbiati, the Angry Ones. In 1496, one of the leaders of the Arrabbiati faction, Filippo Corbizzi, was nominated gonfaloniere, and for the first time someone had the guts to publicly denounce Savonarola, accusing him of being more interested in worldly affairs than in the spiritual ones. The following year, 1497, saw the first attempt to physically attack the monk, and that same year, a vote to have him exiled lost by just one vote. Another person who was not at all a fan of Savonarola was the Pope, Alexander VI Rodrigo Borgia, who was the frequent target of the monk's raging sermons. He tried to sweeten the prior by offering him a cardinalship, to which Savonarola said that he would answer soon with a public sermon from the Duomo. Meanwhile, Carnival was coming along. The anti-Savonarola Arrabbiati faction decided to defy the order to not celebrate Carnival. In turn, Savonarola sent his Piagnoni and Fanciulli round door to door to collect what they called the vanities. Jewels, cosmetics, playing cards, musical instruments, fancy clothes, obscene images were all thrown into a pile that reached almost 20 meters, or almost 60 feet if you're American, or if you are a medieval Florentine, around 30 arms. On the 7th of February, 1497, Mardi Gras, Marte di Grasso, this giant pile of vanities was set on fire in what came to be known as Il Falò delle Vanità, the bonfire of the vanities. After the bonfire night, Savonarola took to the pulpit of the Duomo to give an answer to the Pope. Come forth, lewd church. You are worse than a beast. You are an abominable monster. Once you were ashamed of your sins, no longer. Once priests called their children nephews and nieces, now children in full, 
Now, harlot of a church, you have shown your ugliness to the world, and your stink has risen to the sky. Many of you say that excommunication will come. For me, I pray, O Lord, let it come soon. It came pretty quick. Alexander VI excommunicated Savonarola. Savonarola ignored it, continued to say mass, then turned around and excommunicated the Pope. I would love to have been there when the Pope received that letter. He now threatened an interdict on Florence, which would have meant no religious goings-on would have been allowed in the city. At this point, the Signoria, also persuaded by the Florentine merchants in Rome, decided to order the monk to shut up for a bit. He complied, and not being able to speak, he sent letters. He wrote to the kings of France, Spain, Hungary, and Germany, complaining about Alexander and the fact that the kings were doing nothing to intervene. He also evoked the scariest thing possible for a pope, a council. Meanwhile, among the opposition to the Dominican monks of Honorola, there had always been the Franciscan order, as there was never any love lost between the two religious orders. Indeed, it was a Franciscan friar from the monastery of Santa Croce, Francesco da Puglia, who actually challenged Savonarola to trial by fire. He, Francesco, would enter the flames with Savonarola to see who spoke God's truth, meaning that the one who didn't get burned to a crisp was telling the truth. Savonarola was not really into the idea, so one of his Dominican brothers, suitably named Domenico, Domenico Buonvicini da Pescia, took up the challenge in his stead. Permission was sent for to Rome, where the Pope said no, but things went ahead anyway. So, on the 7th of April, 1498, everything was prepared in the square for two crazy people to jump into big blazing fires. Crowds gathered on the assigned day. Everyone was ready to rumble. First, some ground rules need to be set. For example, what would the participants wear? The Dominican Domenico, for example, was strongly suspected of having magic fire-repelling robes, so he ended up accepting to walk into the fire in his underpants. He must have been really convinced of his position, or have magic fire-repelling underpants. One thing he refused to give up was walking into the fire with the host, the piece of unleavened bread that represented the body of Christ. It would not look good if the body of Christ got roasted. Things went on for so long that it started to get dark and the two factions started to leave. This really annoyed the Florentines, who had flocked to get a good show and hadn't got one. Things started to become dangerous and a rebellion could possibly have broken out had it not been literally dampened by a downpour that had been brewing all day. Incidentally, that is the way you use literally because they actually got wet. The next day, the Arrabbiati headed to San Marco with clubs, pitchforks, and swords and surrounded the monastery. The Dominicans inside rang the bells, calling the citizens to help them. No one came. The Signoria took advantage of the situation to have Savonarola and his followers arrested. After long sessions of torture, Girolamo Savonarola admitted to being a heretic. Domenico the Dominican resisted and did not confess. Considering he was willing to jump into a fire, he may have even enjoyed it. They were hung on the 23rd of May, 1498. As the mortal remains hung there, 
the onlookers spat on them, threw stones and even excrement. Savonarola was then burned and his ashes thrown into the Arno River so his tomb could not become a focal point for more trouble. In his A History of Civilization in Italy, historian William Durant states that the death of Savonarola was the end of the Middle Ages in Florence and perhaps in Italy. The monk indeed represented some of the characteristic of those centuries, the mysticism, evangelical passion, dogmatic obstinance, and moral longing. At the same time, we can also find in him elements, the denunciation of the corruption of the church first and foremost, that would characterize another little movement just around the corner, the Reformation. Thank you very, very much for listening. Stay tuned for the sketch after the credits. Thanks in particular to my wonderful Patreon supporters, starting with the third part of the Margherita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, and they are Paradise, Patrizia Kappa, Peter F. Rachel, Rocco, Roberta, Rod L., Rodney N., Rudy, Russell, Sandra, Scott, Sean M., Shelby, Shelley, Stephen, and Tap Dance Down Under. We must not obviously forget the tippy-top Maria Montessori and Dante Alighieri level, Lisa K, Andrew M, Peter W, David L, Rinat, David C, J.W, Sen, David A, Karen D, Peter F, Helenka, Kaiser Bosch, and Bridget. And welcome, welcome, welcome to new Patreon supporter, DB. Thank you for your support. If, like them, you would like to have access to early ad-free episodes and extra content, you can go to our website, ahistoryofitaly.com, click on the support page and become a Patreon supporter. You can also support us on Tippy if you are so inclined. The more funds we get, the more time we can dedicate to podcasting and not that other daily job business. Once again, thank you very much for listening, and until next time, arrivederci. And I say upon to you, church, you are not very churchy at all. Indeed, you are quite stinky and you're ugly. You're so ugly your mama makes you look in the mirror for punishment. You're so ugly when you were born, the doctor took one look at you and slapped your parents. Aha, what do you think of that, eh? And you are also dumb. Burn! You're so dumb, you had to study for a urine test. You're just icky and poopy and very, very naughty. I am a prophet, and I see that bad things will happen to you. You will misplace objects and not find them for hours. You will enter rooms and not remember why you came in. Any slice of bread you drop will fall to the ground on the side with the jam. Your trousers will rip in an embarrassing point and everyone will laugh at you. Enough! <laughs>
Who dares interrupt the direct word of God? It is I, Francis of Puglia, of the Franciscan Order of Santa Croce. Francis the Franciscan? How original. Shut up. You shut up. You shut up and you'd better, because I challenge you to put your florins where your mouth is. What? I challenge you to a trial by ordeal. You mean a trial by fire? Ha! We Dominicans do not fear your fire. The power of God is strong in us, and my boy Domenico will face the fire laughing. Domenico the Dominican? How original. Anyway, I don't mean trial by fire. My grandma could do that. She does it for hobby every Tuesday afternoon. You... You don't mean... Yes, I do. Good God! Are you you insane, man? I might be. Go ahead, Savonarola. Say it. Must I? You mean trial by tickling? Exactly. (gasps) (laughs) Very well, then. So it shall be. Ah, but we need some ground rules. I don't trust you sneaky Dominicans. Like what? Well, how do we know that he doesn't have tickle-proof robes? What? That's ridiculous! Ha! You do not deny it. No robes, sorcerer. Well, okay, okay. The trial will be in underpants. What about hats? What about them? Well, we'll be in our underpants, and there will be loads of people watching. It wouldn't hurt to look a little bit nice. Okay, hats then, but... Nothing fancy. You know how I deplore vanities. Oh my goodness, would you give it a rest with the vanities? Everybody knows you have a bee in your bonnet about the vanities. Good, good. So it should be. On the Sunday before Palm Sunday, we shall meet in the square for a trial by tickling. No clothes except for underpants. Hats are allowed as long as they are not too flashy. Be there in the square or be square. <laughs> Lame. What? Nothing, I said, bring it on. Hello, people. If this goes in the bloopers, I am thankful to you all because I'm very famous. Goodbye. How do we know that? Well, how do. <laughs> well. How do we know that he doesn't take pickle-proof robes? That he doesn't have? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> what's what's a pickle-proof robes? <laughs> you can eat pickles. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't because it's pickle-proof. Okay. Tickle, tickle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think we need a moment. Okay. Okay. Okay, let me... Okay. Sentire Media Hey podcast producers and show hosts Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy 
and we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.